Hi, guys. I just wanted to say a quick couple things before we start this episode. Number one, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to us. Um, we see it. We feel it. Our numbers have really jumped up in the past few weeks. And I really wanted to say on behalf of the demons, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And we really appreciate it. Number two, I totally forgot to mention the link of All Souls Con. We talked about All Souls Con, but as always, I forget something. So allsoulscon.org slash tickets to register if you're if you're planning to attend virtually or physically, that's where you want to go. Even if you're streaming, make sure you register. Otherwise, you won't be able to do it. So don't miss out. Jump on it. And till June 15th, tickets will be at the early bird price of $79, pretty much 20% off. After that, after June 15th, they go up to 99 so definitely jump on it. Number three, uh, this is a long episode, so you're welcome or apologies, depending on who you are. Uh, we like to keep our episodes normally from 35 to 55 minutes. Sometimes they run over. We don't like to cut out things that we think are essential to the episode. So um, enjoy and on with the show. Demons Discuss, take 16, the one with the owl. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We are your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I'm Valerie. With me is Angela and Jean. Hello, Angela and Jean. Hello. Hey, everybody. And today, we are talking about the episode with the next six chapters. I think we're going from 11 to 15, correct? I was going to say we're back from Scotland. Yay! And I miss Hamish already. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? Oh, but uh, we got a lot of discusser emails, so uh, and this is a jam-packed episode full of information, so let's get those discusser emails out of the way, and we'll start with Eugene. Mine's from Stephen. Hi, demons. My first thought was the comments on a Cote wine. Diana brought with her Diana brought with her to her first dinner with Matthew. A few years ago we drove from England to North Italy for a holiday. On the way home, we stopped in a little village of Empuy in France and brought some bottles of Cotarotti wine after a tasting at a vineyard. I wouldn't describe the vineyards there as fields, though. They were terraces on the steeply western side of the Rhone Valley. Stephen. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Shout out, Stephen, for being our discusser in chief always, and now our yes. QA experts. <laughs> <laughs> a little quality assurance to make sure we get our facts straight. <laughs> uh, Angela, who do you have? I have Alisa. And Lisa says, these are great chapters. There's a lot of information exchange in these chapters and, and conversations. Wine, creature myths, and science. And we get to meet Marcus. Love the podcast. Thank you, demons, for all you do, Lisa. Shout out, Lisa. Lisa. You're welcome. Yes. Yes. Oh, and we get to learn about Matthew's past, too. That's another thing. It's it's a laundry list in this, these five chapters. And we'll get to it all. We do. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Mine's from Karina. It's kind of long, but that's okay, Karina. Thank you for writing us. And from Karina. Hello, Valerie, Angela, and Jean. I hope you are all well. Here are my thoughts on chapters 11 to through 15. I hope you can understand. I found the formality of the relationship oddly satisfying. 
given how Matthew knows of the consequences, although we don't know that yet. Those first few weeks in Matthew and Diana's, oh, in Matthew and Diana's case, days in any relationship are exciting with a get to knowing the person. I personally like keeping things formal to get to know the person and decide if a deeper level of relationship was worth perusing. As you read further into the story, you find although it's still a rather quote-unquote traditional relationship given Matthew's age and what traits he has kept from various times, amuses me as given his lack of attention to the time they move rather fast. Noting that he couldn't recall the last time he ate when he was talking to Hamish, I wondered if he had the same blasé attitude to time while interacting with warm bloods, both romantically and platonically. I particularly like the part where Diana anchored herself to Matthew using the chain. I always see it as an anchor in a chain where you can feel the weight of the anchor to the other person at the end of the chain. I love how it's magic through desire made real. There is a reason that people refer to love as being magical and that's the desire and hope of this person to be the one. Building further on the magic in these chapters are the talents, Diana, that demonstrates how subtle some of them are until she realizes what she's doing. Example, her table puzzle pieces. I hope I haven't gone off too, off on too many tangents. Thank you for a wonderful podcast. I often find myself laughing along with you all. Cheers, Karina. And thank you, Karina. I'm sorry I bumbled through your email. I'm not wearing my glasses and sometimes reading off the screen is hard. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's make this a challenge. <laughs> this is hard. I almost gave this one to Angela, but that's okay. <laughs> I made Don't it through. <laughs> you did. You did. You did fine. And Karina, thank you for all of your thoughts. It wasn't too much. I mean, we live. Yeah. We live to interact with other people on this trilogy. So thank you. And it's a jam-packed little bit of reading here too. So yeah, that was actually pretty succinct. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna start in chapter eleven to start us off. We begin chapter eleven with. With one more restless night. She's thinking about the fact that witches may, <laughs> may have murdered her parents and wonders why Peter Knox has an interest in Ashmal 782. So let's go. I'm sorry. I interrupted. I'm so excited. It's snowflakes. Matthew Yay. gets back and it's snowflakes. Yes. Yes. He, she knows that he's entered or a vampire's entered the library and is focused on her and she felt snowflakes, but she was afraid it was just Miriam. And I, it's just a wonderful transition to have him come back from Scotland and they meet up again and his feelings are softened it seemed like. Yeah, I was going to say I think this chapter 11 is like the breakthrough chapter because it's also where she confesses that she real she finally realizes she's been using magic all along. I mean 11 is where things start changing. Yes, it's, it's a turning point. I have to say, Angela, I thought of you when I read this passage because you know when he comes back and he says, I understand there's been some excitement. Remember that one line that kind of made your heart flutter in the other chapter? Yes. <laughs> this was it for me. I was like, oh, yes, there has been some excitement. Matthew, you need to fix it now. <laughs> the master of understatement. I love that. <laughs> and then it's so English. I know. I know. But I heard it in the way Jennifer Akita read it so I could get the tone. I was like, yes. oh, my God. Yeah, your okay. Your beat out of your chest. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yes. And then when he offered to sit with her and Diana's like, no, that won't be necessary. And I was like, Diana, 
it is necessary. What's wrong with right. you? <laughs> well, you know, I was so excited for them to reunite and see what was going to happen. And Deb has maybe the perfect pacing, obviously, because I wanted a whole disclosure of what happened and what they were going to do next. And, you know, Matthew's just, this can wait. We'll talk about it later. Can we wait to the end of the day? I was like, no, no. no. <laughs> but obviously Deb knows how to pace it and gave us just what we needed when we needed it. We need to talk about this now. <laughs> right. No. And I was like, no, let's go to yoga. We'll talk about it after yoga. Like, exactly. He was being such a tease. Yes, that's perfect. Perfect word. Which kind of explains why she's early waiting for him at Hedford when she pick when he picks her up for yoga. Yes. Because she say, wants to know too. Foreshadowing of every every portion of their relationship because he was kind of a tease about some other things later on down the line too. <laughs> this is true. Oh, gosh. There's no need to hurry. Wait, let's take our time. I know. No! Deb has said time and time again, Matthew is an extremely, and I think extremely is an understatement, patient creature. Mm, Leave him one more tease. Which is really odd considering the fact that he always looks before he leaps and doesn't think things through. (laughs) They're mutually exclusive. This is true. So he picks her up for yoga and then we get into a little more of the creature myths. You know, he's pissy because you know, she mentions that he went hunting with Scotland and he's still a little bit guarded about that. I don't know if he's embarrassed or that he has to hunt or whatever. And um, he brought up the fact that, you know, boiling bats, which, which is boiling bats. So I thought it was interesting that we're going further into the creature myth. Yeah, she got pretty indignant too when he brought that up. So it was kind of funny. Yeah. She got some of her own medicine back. <laughs> and also, like Allie was talking about next episode, he's tuned into her. He knows, you know, that she's t- Tired. He knows that she's frightened. He's like, she's like, I'm frightened. He's like, I know. I'm like, whoa, okay. So yeah. so we're getting kind of a hint about that, too. First thing I want to mention that Amira has to come in and drag him in because they're in the middle of a conversation outside of uh, his house in Woodstock. Oh, that's right. Getting deep. And then she's like, uh, you guys going to come in or do you know you want to practice out here? I think that was one of the indicators that pe- other people are starting to notice they are connecting. Amira had yes. to know. Well, and Amira is an empath, so that makes right. sense. Yeah, she had to know from the get-go, though. Pretty much. I would agree. So they go through their yoga class and then um, Diana notices Ampula and we get into the history of that and Lazarus. And then they walk outside and that owl, that damn owl. Yeah, it's like, and the timing, it's like, what is she doing? Or what what is the owl there for? Is it, I mean, Deb is, I said tongue in cheek that it's kind of an homage to Hedwig from Harry Potter, but I don't know if she did though. I don't think I, she, she did. Uh, she did uh, either in one of the groups or in a. Somebody asked her about it at a signing I was at. Oh, she said it in that in that Reddit QA that we posted a episode or so ago that about a spirit animal. Anytime you see a white animal, like she, and she happened to see a white peacock. Uh, oh, recently. I remember that day. And yeah, and she took it as a spirit animal, and she didn't really answer the direct question of the significance of the owl, but she did say men brought up about being. A, a spirit animal, but that still let, left us to interpret what that means. I mean, a spirit animal, Diana, Matthew, what? Yeah, well, and the, and the other thing was, it was right after that conversation they were having about the destructive power of anger. Yes. Hmm. So, I mean, the placement of it all, it, it just opens up a whole ton of questions. Yeah, you and you can interpret it 10 different ways. Yeah. Well, and then owls are messengers. Owls are associated. Actually, they're associated with the goddess Athena. Mm-hmm. Wisdom. 
and wisdom. And there's not a lot of negative, although I, I seem to recall maybe the, is it American, Native American lore that they may be messenger, you know, associated with death. But I hmm. think based on what we learn, what we learn about Diana down the line and, and her powers as a weaver and the crossroads that maybe even being a messenger of death might not be such a bad thing. It just may be a mess- messenger to her from the other world. Right. Well, it is like in tarot cards. When you get the death card, it's not someone, you're going to die. Someone's going to die. It's the end of one it's chapter not, and the beginning of a new chapter. Yeah, it's not necessarily literal. No, it's an ending and a beginning, and that's exactly what we'll find out later on. But Right. But the messages later on were subtle. There was nothing definitive, you know? So yeah. when I when the owl first came and flew at her like it was going to attack her, it was definitely sending a message, and I was waiting to hear what that message was, and yeah. I was it was driving me nuts. But I didn't exactly yeah, take got, it. I didn't take it as a message so much. I just, for me at that time, I thought, Matthew, it was a opportunity for Matthew to show his um, protective side. You know, he shoved her into the car and shielded her just like he was did in the library. So I thought that was more of that. Yeah. So maybe it was like the opposite of Chris. You know, I thought Chris was nothing and he turned out to be something. I thought the owl was something and he turned out to be nothing. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And then the ride home, you know, uh, I don't know. What do they talk about on the ride home when he was driving her home? Um, Was it awkwardly? Was this was this a ride home where they were kind of awkwardly quiet? He was talking about adrenaline, too. Yeah. The rowing and yoga and the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is where he said. um, So that's what we are now. Friends. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're like. Like, okay, friends, if that's what we're going to call it, sure. You know? Okay. That's what makes you happy. We'll call it friends. Yeah. <laughs> and then she asked him to dinner. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the, the juxtaposed dinners in this series of chapters. It's just so cute. No, I agree. I, this this was uh, one of the best things about these chapters was the dinners. Because hosted well, at her place and then hosted at his place. Yeah, and, and she, it showed us a different side of her. She was being more, not only just social, but domestic. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the first time we really see Diana's girlyish, girly side. It probably is the first time she's seen it. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) I mean, she's, I was going to say, I mean, uh, we find out at some point in time that she looks at, looks at, uh, you know, basically not even, maybe friends with benefits, but she looks at sex as a physical thing, not a emotional thing or a mental thing or anything like that. Yeah, that's the thing. She almost made it sound like a chore. (laughs) Do you know, that's the thing though. I, I, like when, she declared them friends. If we put ourselves in the future in this book, she even mentions, you know, I used to have sex with my friends, but didn't mean anything. So maybe that's what she was saying with the friendship shit, you know? Good point. Hmm. So chapter 12, she goes shopping for dinner. Yeah, actually, I thought most of that dinner sounded extremely tasty (laughs) for personally. Really? I did. Huh. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm weird. I I can't say. I mean, it's taken me a long time to like game, so I don't know that uh, I would prefer, you know, rabbit, but I would do the venison and definitely all the greens and I would do everything, I guess. Right. I've had, I've had rabbit. I don't know that I would want it like El Dante. (laughs) 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 Hopping off your plate. Carpaccio and tartare is great. And then lamb, oh, lamb kitty. Oh, that is just delicious. So this whole meal turned my palate off. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you guys know how I feel about fish, right? Oh, true. Oh, smoked salmon? Yeah. I would have thought smoked salmon was the most approachable thing for most people on that entire menu, to be honest. No, tried it. It wasn't good. (laughs) Yeah, well, I dated a Jewish guy, so I had no choice. 
I developed a taste for it. It's a shame because a salmon around here supposedly is so delicious. And it is. I was going to say, you live like in one of the best salmon capitals of the world. And (laughs) I mean, I'd be like, if I lived in Seattle, I'd be like the Forrest Gump, the Bubba Gump. You know, I'll have it, you know, I'll have smoked salmon. I'll have poached salmon. I'll have fried salmon. I'll have, you know. Oh, salmon jerky. Yum. (laughs) I love salmon jerky. Right. And, you know, I'm not big on game, but I'll eat it. So the venison would be okay. And rabbit, to me, it's okay, but uh, I want it. It's like gamey chicken. Yeah, (laughs) but I kind of want it fully cooked. And, you know, for that, I'd rather have chicken. Well, you you must have died when we were in Salem and I had lox and a bagel for breakfast. <laughs> You're probably like, oh my God. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I'm a native New Yorker. So I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of used to that, you know, people having lox and salmon. So that's not unusual. It's just not something I would eat. Right. You right. know, even though, and like things like anchovies, you know, let it touch my pizza. Theoretically, I know it's just salty, but I know yes. there's a fish. Mm-mm. <laughs> But anyway, oh, so you're just absolutely anti-fish, period. Um, like my mom. I like shrimp and lobster and clams and crabs and stuff like that. Yeah, you like shell. Yeah, you're like my mom. My mom like fish, fish with fins. Uh, uh-uh. uh. She's like no can do. Yeah, I but think it- shellfish and lobster and all that. She'll just eat like crazy. Me and your mom would get along fine. That'd be great. We'll we'll we'll, we'll make you shellfish for dinner. <laughs> all right. So let's not get uh, distracted. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was was really cute chapter. Uh, the, the beginning of this chapter, her shopping in the Oxford's covered market and doing her research on what to feed Matthew. And I thought it was showing a softer side of her and, and some thoughtfulness and wanting to get it right. Well, and I also thought her going through her uh, closet was pretty hilarious. <laughs> yes. And the fact that she contacted a zoologist. I mean, she was being thorough. Right. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So getting ready for dinner. What did you think of all that girly stuff? I have thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts. Well, for some who didn't have a whole lot in their wardrobe, I really found it kind of interesting. I think she instinctively does have some taste and an aesthetic because the blouse she ends up putting on, I mean, as I'm reading the description, it's really reminiscent of an old uh, Carolina Herrera or uh, Christian Dior blouse that was in in several of their collections with the stand-up collar and the really tailored, pointy, exotic sleeves. I mean, that's a really classic look from a bunch of designers. So I was like, I was kind of shocked that that was in her wardrobe. It's like, wow, wait a minute. You're Miss Yoga Pants and you've got, you've actually got decent pieces in your wardrobe and you don't realize it. Right. Nordstrom Rack, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was on sale. Why not? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) No, you're right though. I mean, she has these black pants or those black pants, but that that blouse was, had some flair to it. Yeah. Although I can't fault a woman for having a million black pants. Oh, I don't. (laughs) Oh no. Uh Uh-uh. Never too many jeans, never too many black pants, never too many yoga pants. I feel you, Diana. You know, uh, she mentioned she was she wondered about her mother, why, how she can get her features to stand out so prominently. And it made me wonder if her mother was using a disguising spell, like a cloaking spell, too. Because uh, early on in the chapter, she's mentioning that, you know, her mother just kind of looked like a harried woman when she was out in public, but when she came home, she just lit up. She looked beautiful when she smiled at Stephen or at her. So I was wondering if maybe Rebecca was doing the same thing that Diana wound up having to do later on with her cloaking spell. Oh, and, well, I, that's funny because I took that more as 
maybe she was subconsciously recognizing the love on her mother's face. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when she came home into into her family in private, she she let her feelings show. Because don't forget, she and Stephen were also kind of the folk. They were also trying to stay under the radar as far as the congregation goes. And and with her being so po- the Diana being so powerful, they were. I would also have to guess that she, aside from a disguising spell, she probably just really buried her feelings in public as far as just not trying to stand out even without this spell. Right. That's a good point. Not trying to draw attention to herself. And then Diana wonders how she can achieve the same thing cosmetically that her mother kind of did naturally. So we're we're starting to see that, you know, Matthew Claremont is I was surprised her you didn't have a YouTube make yeah, I, I was gonna say maybe if Deb wrote this a few years later you would have had a YouTube makeup uh Yeah <laughs> makeup tutorial in there somewhere. Too. She'd be on our laptop, you know, watching Candy Johnson, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Doing makeovers. Oh, I, I did notice reading this these chapters that she said, "Oh, I saw something on the net," and in the text it says "net n e t," and I'm like, "Is that what we call it these days?" But I guess maybe back then that's what we called it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's what we called it. I don't know. Online well, is what we called it. Sandra Bullock, the Sandra Bullock movie called the net. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Ominous. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we touched upon the food she serves: salmon, venison, and rabbit, and how she served it. And um, no, let's not skip this part. Like a prince in the fairy tale, he shows up at the door with flowers oh, and, and he wine. Fits through it. It's like, oh. And more creature myths because we realize that he does not need to be invited in. He's just being polite. Mm-hmm. I thought it was excellent to find out creature myths. And I, sorry, Matthew and Diana, but I was sitting there, full attentive at your table, listening to the whole conversation, the volley back and forth. But I thought it was a really um, revealing chapter and it entertaining. I was entertained just as if I were a guest too. Right. I, I would agree. Right. It was a nice dinner party. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I ha- actually looked something up for this book because he was talking about and a comet. The comet. Oh. oh, that's what I was going to say too. That this oh, chapter. Oh, come? Yeah, this chapter is Easter egg laden. Yes. The whole chapter oh, God, yeah. from beginning to end. And we won't spoil it for listeners, but this, this chapter is full of them. Yeah. So he mentions a comment, comment in uh, 1811 and she brought up Haley's comment comment and he corrected her and that was the first time I actually went online and googled something based on this book. I was like, okay, now what comment is this? This is driving me crazy. And the information is there. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that was a Chateau Kim. Oh yes, Chateau Kim. It is. I've tasted it once or twice. It's pretty damn delicious. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, it's it's, it's a dessert wine. It's like uh, every favorite dessert. No, better yet, Yakim is like the real, real life realization of the elixir of the White Witch that is your favorite, whatever your favorite dessert ever was from the Chronicles of Narnia. Hmm. Huh. You know that it tasted just like Turkish delight to Edward. Right. Oh, I see. That's what Yakem is like. Huh. It's every wow. tasty dessert you could ever imagine all in this beautiful little glass. Well, she did picture or uh, say it was like liquid magic, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Caramel, caramel and a little bit of orange. And- but let's not get ahead. The the first time when um, he's drinking Diana's choice of the Riesling, and we have his nose description, his aquiline nose, and that's always, Mm -hmm. I I think when people think of Matthew, they don't exactly think of him with this prominent nose, um, but that's something that you pointed out, Val, the description of his nose. Yes. Mm -hmm. Aquiline is sort of Romanesque and prominent and long, and you'll find it in a lot of uh, European faces if they don't get it uh, surgically fixed. Yes. 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 (laughs) And... 
Yeah. They're big it noses. Gives, it gives your face character. Yes. I love them. I love big, long, beautiful Roman type noses. Ah, uh, Roman's more of a hook, but aquiline nose is just long. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would agree. <laughs> and the odd thing is, too, is we talk about, speaking of noses, the power of smell a lot in this yes. um, chapter. When he talks about the smell of chocolate, the first time he, t- he tasted chocolate, what Diana smells like and what he smells like and what the food smells like and how cooking changes the smell of food so he doesn't want to eat. Right. This is yeah. the nose chapter, I think. It is a nose and, and a lot of other senses, too, the taste. The taste and the nose. But they both go together, so it's not odd. It's a great pair. Yeah, but what's so funny is is when we get, when we when we move on to Matthew's dinner, we'll see that taste is the more p- prominent of the two. Yeah, because then they go off on the diatribe about you know, what it, what do I taste like, which we'll get That's to true. in a minute. But yeah. the way the two dinner dinners are juxtaposed and the how the emphasis they, they're like two sides of the same coin. The, the, they they suit each other, but they're not. I'm sorry, I was gonna say, but they're they're not the same, but. But they complement each other is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this is true. And this is the chapter we find out how old Matthew is. What did you think when he, yes. when he, we find out he's 1,500 years old? Oh, I rubbed my hands together in glee because I'm like, oh, this is going to get really good. Yes. Really? I was the opposite. I was like, oh, my God, 1,500 years. Oh, I... I, it, I was just thinking of all the stories he could have. I was like Diana. I was overwhelmed by his age, I guess. I was just like... You didn't like the age difference? <laughs> you don't have daddy issues? No, 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 no. It wasn't that. It wasn't even their relationship that kind of... I wasn't icked out by it, but I was overwhelmed. I was like, what the hell? I mean, I don't... When people talk about like 100 years ago, it seems like forever. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. 1,500 years. Holy crap. I, I wasn't... I was appreciative of it. I was glad, just like Jean, because after Diana has that long speech of rattling off all the major high points and low points in history since when she was suspecting Matthew was born, uh, he, she got, had one guest that was pre-him, the uh, Attila, but I was, I thought it was awesome. I was, that he could have seen and been through all of that. Right. And what he's, oh, what, he's what he's going to bring to the table now. Right. Oh, yeah. Even him talking about tasting the wine and walking the fields, and it just reminded me of this episode, and I put it on Tumblr once, of, it's a show called Wang's world and Wang Eddie Wang visits Burgundy and at the end of the, the show he's walking through this old cellar what I picture Matthews would be like but it's hundreds and hundreds of bottles and he says that it's wine is basically time manifested in a bottle um, and when Matthew went through that whole speech of walking the fields and smelling the grapes and tasting the sunshine and all of that that's what it reminded me of and maybe we can put that in the show notes but uh, it, it's true it's like his own kind of time walking uh-huh and that's a beautiful way to put it it's so evocative now there's I was gonna say oh and this chapter is also we end up talking about Darwin. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Chapter 12. Oh, before we move on to Darwin, in that whole conversation about smell, Mm -hmm. and and Matthew describes what Diana smells, smells like, and basically it's, to me, it makes me think of the forest in spring. You've got the the leaves on the ground and all this, you know, the new flowers coming up and uh, chamomile and whatnot. And and that also makes me think she's, at that point in the story, she's associated with the maiden. Yes. I mean, Yes. Through her smell, she's manifesting her her link to the maiden. And the most striking thing about that is when she talks about how, yeah, he smells like cinnamon and clove, but then she's more specific about him smelling like carnation, clove pinks, not carnate modern carnations, but clove pinks. Right. And, and the really interesting thing I found out about clove pinks not too long ago is I was reading an article. I think it was uh, they were talking to Alison Weir about some portrait or sim- symbolism in Elizabethan portraiture mm-hmm. and what the fly 
flowers meant. And in Tudor times, clove pinks were associated, they would be in wedding bouquets as a symbol of fertility. Right. Oh, interesting. Now, see, so the maiden actually, see, we're, we're yeah. already go, you know, their first dinner together and we're already going there, shall we say? Yes. And which the maiden is, is so all clever. about possibilities, the possibilities, which is so clever of Deb with that really obscure bit of foreshadowing, at least to me. Right. How many times have we read it and we finally just, I put it together now. Right. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> I just, I'd like to that. I mean, he's clove pink derivative of, you know, cloves or vice versa, but I like that he was just not cinnamon and cloves. He got called also be carnations or clove pinks and there's other other scents too that was pretty neat mm-hmm. he smelled like the past yes good way to put it in a way right yeah. and then we find out his interest in ashmole 782 later on in this conversation where he talks about you know he had just read a copy of a book and everybody knew it was origin <laughs> I love how he said it was a manu- manuscript going to publication. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or, it's or, like, or, yeah, or Matthew got an arc. He yeah. got, yeah, he got yeah. an advanced reader copy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I kept thinking. He's got an advanced reader copy. Is he going to have to write a review for it? Right, right. And we find out because Diana's saying, we all know this is origin. Oh, my God. And I think here's where she's getting overwhelmed with the possibilities of the things he knows and the questions she can ask him because she's a historian and she's curious. And then, and then the next day, we, next next chapter, we're in the lab. Wait, wait. Before we go to the lab, though, let's talk about that kiss, okay? Where Diana runs up and kisses him. Oh, the, the peck on the cheek? Yeah. Yes, and he returns yeah. the kiss in that slow French way. Now, you and I, the three of us, were discussing this the other day. Now, I think it's a little early on for it to be an American fashion French kiss. I think it's the uh, European moi-moi. And what were your opinions? <laughs> I thought this was hilarious, our differing opinions. I, I thought it was your good old French kiss, to be, yeah. be honest with you, because <laughs> the way he reveled in it. I did too, yeah, I mean, and, I, to- and I wanted it to be. <laughs> So it was. <laughs> yeah. It was. And, and that's yeah. the bottom line. You know, I thought it was a little early for the, you know, full on mouth grab. But hey, you're the reader. So however you wanted it to be was the way it was. I mean, well, I, I just got done saying Matthew is extremely patient. So maybe it wasn't. But then again, he gives into his emotions and he gets swept up sometimes. So maybe it was. Maybe it was. Well, and the other thing I was thinking, too, is maybe that was his nonverbal way of saying, yeah, friends, thinking no. <laughs> <laughs> We're not friends. And so this chapter this ends with the... I'm um, not going to kiss you like a friend. <laughs> and this chapter ends with uh, Diana's answer machine just going off because Sarah knows. Go Sarah away. always knows. <laughs> uh, no, just no, Sarah. Just don't ruin the moment. Okay, so chapter 13 of the lab. Go. <laughs> oh, man. It, the, the thing that killed me about this is we meet Marcus, and I, I love Marcus. Marcus reminds me... I don't know if either one of you remember that old movie called Real Genius with Chris Sarandon and a really young Val Kilmer. They've got ah. this, this herd of genius kids. And oh, they're, yes. They're, they don't realize they're working for a defense contractor. <laughs> yes. I the, vaguely the remember picture, watching that movie. The mental picture I got of Marcus when he first like slides across the cha- slides across the floor in his wheeled office chair like, hey, I'm here. Right. Is Val Kilmer in that movie. If it's available... <laughs> You've got to watch it because his character is uh, Marcus in that scene. <laughs> That's funny. Now I have to go back and watch it. And the other two things, the other things I thought were weird was uh, he didn't introduce Marcus as his son at all to Diana in that first meeting, which I right. suppose 
knows is vampires and their secrets. Right. All in due time. And then, yeah. And then that other, I mean, we get some foreshadowing, some weird, odd foreshadowing when he starts talking about the vampire killer and the problems with, you know, we're dying out and genetic deterioration. Right. But we won't spoil that. I'm always suspicious. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know if Marcus was going to harm her. I mean, he's saying adrenaline makes blood even more delicious and he could smell her adrenaline. Um, but I mean, Matthew kept him in check. But at this point, yeah, he's a, he's a vampire to me. I don't know him from anyone else. So I I was always fearing for Diana's safety. Well, I, don't I don't know, know you the, like that, Marcus. Converse- <laughs> 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 exactly. I, I don't know. I, maybe I just discounted him a bit because of the way he was dressed. And, you know, how harmful could a, could a kid in Converse high tops be? <laughs> it's it's my own uh, flaw. I'd be more worried about Miriam, honestly. Yeah, oh, for sure. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And with the vampires, I mean, I was new to this world, so um, I was just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, you got a witch trying to get in her head and creatures trailing her. And I was just always suspicious of everyone that came into the picture until they have shown me otherwise. And that's pretty much how it is in life. So (laughs) that's the kind of reader I am. I think I got the impression that uh, Marcus was just very casual. I mean, it's like, what? We can't talk about it? It's tasty. What? (laughs) So? <laughs> I just, you I mean, know, he was your typical twenty-year-old bro. Yeah, really, yeah, truly. It's like, yeah, adrenaline, man. It is great. That is. There's a little shit. bit of a, st- a surfer boy stoner too. Yeah, man. yeah. So I didn't get the impression that he might have been dangerous. I think he was just being very casual. Like matter of fact, like it's delicious. Yeah. Just like you know, cupcakes, delicious. Now, I, I guess I had uh, American werewolf in London on my mind. You know, he was a normal guy, but all of a sudden something triggered him. And I thought that could happen with Marcus and the adrenaline that he had. Oh, right, right. This, you know, couldn't could control <laughs> his impulses. Uh, American Werewolf in London is just a great movie, too. Oh, my God. Towards the end, <laughs> when he was just, when his buddy was just that skeleton, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, Griffin Dunn was brilliant in that movie. I love that character. <laughs> That's like God. He like pieces kept falling off him every time we saw him. Yeah, I was like, Jack, I'm dead. Towards the end, he was just a skeleton. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) Your friend's not looking good. But I digress. (laughs) Oh, Oh, God. And at the end, after we go to the lab, uh, so Matthew's all like, I I felt like he was pleading for her to come to dinner. You know what I mean? It's like, come to dinner with me. And I'm like, oh, yes, I will. Thank you. I know. It's like, God, why do you need to be persuaded? Persuaded woman. Oh, <laughs> He's asking you back to look at his etchings for God's sake. Yes. <laughs> Check out my cellar. Right? Man, talk about foreplay, taking her down into the cellar at All Souls. My God. Right. So, chapter 14, dinner at his place. What'd you guys think? Besides the cellar and their wine, you like that? Well, yeah. So, as an aside, uh, if you had to cut one of the dinners out in the TV show, which one would you cut out? Diana's. Diana's? Yeah. Yeah. Because you cut out Matthews, you you lose the whole going through the cellar and all cells and... I think you can easily combine the two. Yeah. 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 Okay. I would agree. I mean, her her the whole her whole process of, of putting together what she was going to feed him and whatnot was really cute. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think you could probably accomplish that, combining that with his dinner. Because he used the, he used the wine so much to, to drop breadcrumbs about his past, too. I mean, I think you could probably finesse it. Yeah. I mean, do do a dinner that's a combination of the two. Although I like the pacing of the two separate dinners. Yeah, I do. For the book, yeah, don't get rid of any of it. But, you know, 
TV being how I mean, it if is. They, if they have to, if they have to, I guess I'd say Diana's, but I'd rather they don't get either one of them and figure, maybe cut out one of the, cut out some of the uh, nonsense in the morning when she's rowing because they've got three or four scenes where stuff like that happens and they just chat. Yeah. So he takes her down to the cellars. They pick out the wines, her birthday wine, a few others. Oh, that was sweet. Mm-hmm. That is sweet. And they bring him, he brings her up to his rooms in All Souls. So let's talk about the fact that it's in All Souls. Did that strike you as anything, you know, when she's all freaked out, it's like, All Souls, oh my God. And I'm like, oh, am I supposed to be, is this something? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I have to, I have to yeah. be with you on that one. It's, I didn't realize the privacy and the magnitude and the privilege that it is to go there. Yeah, that's another thing I had to Google. Yeah. I was like, All Souls, what is this stuff? But Yeah, I thought it was more, okay, this is, this ties into the name of the trilogy is what I was thinking. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. we're going to meet a whole bunch of characters that are connected to this college that all have something to do with the story is what I thought on my first read through. Okay, this is this is where we're going to get all our clues. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, loved, I love Deb's description of All Souls in general. She says it was a masterpiece of late Gothic architecture resembling the love child of a wedding cake in a cathedral. I, now every time I see All Souls, the outside exterior, um, I think of that. The description was perfect. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't even care at this point whether the inside looks like Deb described it. I love that she gave us, you know, filled in the gap possibly and let us know what it looked like. Yeah. So in his rooms, uh, he's putting together stuff for her to eat. And uh, what was the sequence? Were they drinking wine first or was he fixing this stuff first? They they started out with oysters and champagne. Right. And then he did some, uh, then her birthday wine. I forget that what that was paired with. And then he pulled out the Margot with the the stew from the the castellette from the old parsonage. Right. And it was, I think they went to, were they drinking? Oh, yeah. It was when they were drinking the Malmsey at dessert that the conversation What do I taste like? Yes. Yes. That's when it went uh, as Isabeau says, (laughs) pear-shaped. But I love this chapter. I mean, you find out more about him. I mean, she asks him again, when did you first come to Oxford? And then we find out that he was an All Souls Prize Fellowship. Right. With Hamish. With Hamish, yes. And she says, a prize fellow. So, I mean, I love that all these different details and we find out all the different colleges that he went to. So you just mm-hmm. are starting to picture, get it even a, your, my picture of Matthew is starting to enlarge. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the fateful it's like question. You're coloring it, you're coloring in all the spaces. Exactly. You, you've got this outline of a man and all the vivid colors that make him up are starting to come into focus. Right. And then the fateful question, what do I smell like? And that's when taste all like. hell breaks look. Yeah. Taste like, or what would I taste like? Yeah. Taste like. Ta- yeah. Taste yeah. like. And that's when all hell broke loose. Well, it turned out okay, right? <laughs> yeah, but the, this, I love this whole passage where he talked about how how a witch's blood makes music and that it's like a, a siren song. Right. Know, and he starts talking about being besotted. Yeah. Oh, I love that part. But And it also, in retrospect, is it foreshadowing? Yeah. You know, right. this, I mean, that's our first blood song. Right. It's not our last. Right. And he's talking himself down from the tree. Witches and vampires aren't supposed to feel like this. And then yeah. Diana finally gives and says, I feel it too. Yep. And there you go. So nice. And then they decide they're going to go back and try for 782 again. Yeah. After a conversation and it, it seemed like they wanted to keep it going on and on, but they decided they're going to go back to the library and try for Ashmole 782 once again. Yeah. And that brings us to chapter 15. Oh, I love 15 because we get Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> pew, pew. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> You're the one. You're the one. Oh. So we find out he was once at New College by the scarf he greets her with when she went rowing. Oh, the New, the new College scarf. Yeah, uh, yeah. Put the new scarf. We've got the New College scarf. We can put in the show notes. I mean, don't forget, Miss Morrow made one. Oh yeah, she did. One of our one of our discussers. Yeah, and early fans. Yeah, she made an awesome replica of the New College scarf, and I that was pretty neat. She's talented. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think she even didn't she actually make it to look like it was old. I think so. I think so. I'll have to go back and find that picture, but I'll, I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Um, so he was at New College. They have breakfast. Go back to the go back to uh, Diana's rooms, and he's going to drop her off, and then she meets him at the library, and all sorts of things happen at the library. Peter knocks. All sorts of things don't happen at the library. Oh yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> well, Peter knocks happens again. Damn it! But yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, and they draw the attention of humans. Don't forget that. With, yeah. With Peter Knox that time. So he he's starting to show his hand a little bit as well. Right. And um, this is where she tries to, to one-up Peter Knox, too, because he calls her Dr. Bishop, and she says, Mr. Knox, like, yeah. at the dig. Yeah. Yeah. So she re- tries to recall Ashmole 782, and uh, after a while, after her and Matthew waiting for it to show up at the main desk, um, they call Puller's side and said, hey, this book is lost. And she's like, are you guys crazy? I just pulled this up a few weeks ago. And that was the beginning of a Discovery of Witches. That was the book she was looking at. Yeah. So and and not just lost, but missing. Missing. Since eighteen eight, since eighteen fifty nine. And everything yep. is starting to not make sense to us, the reader. Like, where the hell did that book go? Yeah, it's like all hell breaks loose for the reader at this point in time because all the creatures start shuffling out, and then they have mm-hmm. a confrontation with Knox, which is less than comfortable. And she's she's fit to be tied when they get back to Matthew. First, they go back to Matthew's place, and she's so angry. She's sparks are flying. Yeah, she burned a hole in his rug. Yeah, and he had to get aggressive with her. I loved that. <laughs> she did, and she liked it. I'm sorry that did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> did you really think that out loud? Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> That's no seriously. On my first read, that was one of my favorite parts. I think I wore out my audio listening to Jennifer Iketa say doing that part again and again. Yeah. So, what's this? I hear that you think this is just about a manuscript. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, they say the difference between a stalker and an admirer is whether you like them back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not to make light of stalking, everybody. Stalking is bad. Well, I, I think with Matthew, though, too, is he's like trying to save her from herself in, in some ways because it's like, dude's been around for 1,500 years. He probably has a halfway decent idea of what's going to happen if she goes off half-cocked against a yeah. congregation member who she doesn't realize is a congregation member at this point right right you now he knows what he knows who the chess pieces are on this board right now and she doesn't so is which it is something that bugs me but we'll get to that later right so in this portion when they're in his rooms um is that one no he decides that she pretty much needs to be hidden and they hadn't decided set tours at this point no right no they were gonna he was gonna make her go out to oxford for the weekend or woodstock uh, old, yeah woodstock for the weekend right 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 yeah so they took her back to he took her back to pack her bags and he's waiting out front while she goes inside. She's handed this envelope by the porter and there's no return address on it. So it hadn't been mailed. Oh, oh, oh. What? 
Wait, just before we 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 skipped over the one thing before we uh we get to the envelope mm-hmm. was the chain. Oh, I'm sorry, the chain. No, the chain comes after. Never mind. I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit confused here. I'm, my my own notes are confusing me. Yeah. <laughs> this the whole thing when they were going back and forth that Angela so loved is she also realizes. Wait a minute, this is the first guy that stood up to me and didn't succumb to my bossiness. And no one says no to me. Damn it. And no one says yeah. no to Matthew. But at this time, she had to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think she wanted to yeah yeah deep down just her so. pride was hurt or you know like as we talk about that ego again but i think she she liked it too yeah she did i would agree again stalker or admirer you decide <laughs> <laughs> hot date or hot, mess? hot mess you decide okay so the envelope she's handed it you know by the porter and it's got no return address so it means it was hand delivered she brings it up to her rooms she opens yeah, like it up intercollegiate mail yeah I think she also made the conclusion that it was it was definitely intercollegiate mail, like an inner office right. envelope memo, memo kind of thing. So she opens it up and finds a picture of her dead parents, and we a color picture, a color picture. We understand Which that she had she's never seen before. right. She's seen a pic this picture by sneaking off to the library and looking at it through microfilm of you know old newspaper articles or whatever but she's never actually seen it in full-blown color and she screams and in comes matthew rushing at a vampire's pace and right behind him is the porter so we realize the porter knows about vampires I mean, it's kind of implied that he knows about vampires, but he knows about vampires because he didn't freak out when he's Matthew's moving around like a crazy man or a crazy vampire. And I forget the sequence of what the next set of events was. He he goes over to her and he's comforting her and um, he... Yeah, she kind of gives him the background on her parents being killed. Right, right. And he thinks that, he thinks it just happened. Right. And he... Which I, th- which I think is interesting in retrospect that he didn't realize that they had been killed years ago. Right. Even though he sort of was keeping tabs on what was going on in the creature world. That To, to me, it was like, well, gosh, you know, this is a... Cla- it's seems in one respect it's a cataclysmic event but even in their own circles a lot of people didn't know it was just like a blip on the radar that nobody really remembers right and then matthew throws the keys to the porter to move his car and then matthew lays diana down in bed and says i'm gonna go identify the bodies with you in africa and diana goes um they died a long time ago i don't need to identify bodies but you know the witches said it wasn't humans that killed them yeah it was not humans it was, might have been witches. Yeah, that's very, it turns the story. And right before he, he starts to, you can see one step closer when he reassures her that no one's going to harm her. He's got her. Yeah, I got you, girl. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what he says, he yep. says, I got you now. Yeah, and uh, he we close this chapter with him staring at a picture of Diana on the wall. Diana the and, goddess. And yeah. the chain. And the, the chain. chain began to unwind. That's right. Uh-huh. They got hooked to each other. They're kind of figuratively and I guess literally magic terms hooked together. They're tied together. And this is what our discusser Karina mentioned. The quote is, somewhere in the center of my soul, a rusty chain began to unwind. It freed itself link by link from where it had been rusted unobserved waiting for him. Which makes me wonder if the chain was was some not part, I mean, it's so evocative of the whole spellbinding thing we'll get into later on, but did the goddess spellbind her to him at birth? And that's what the chain is? Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's a chain. It's all like a time loop to me. It really yeah, is. me too. Me too. 
because chicken or the egg, which came first? It's like, right. Yeah. And the fact that and this, I mean, this just might be a practical thing, but now I'm sitting here thinking about the, the arrowhead being on a, kept on a chain. Yes. As opposed to being part of an arrow. Right. Right. I mean, so now we've got, there's two chains and the one is clearly attached to the goddess. And I almost wonder whether this other chain is the goddess's handiwork too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's almost, you know, the, the parallel universes that they created when they went back. This is maybe one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because back then, uh, like when, if you go back to 1590, for us jumping ahead to Shadow of Night, they mentioned this chain as sort of a liquid thing, like it was new and fresh. And, you know, mm-hmm. and later on in book or uh, a discovery of witches, we're seeing it's rusty. It, you know, it needs to be refreshed. It's, you know, it's been there for a while and it's rusty. So yeah, the time loop thing, if you allow yourself to think circularly like that and not get too confused, it definitely applies. Yeah. You just got to quick think about it and not think about it too hard. Yeah. And be like, okay, that's, that's the end of that. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise you'll need a brain reboot. Uh, The popular saying is that timey-wimey stuff. Yeah. It's true. Yes. And this ends our discussion on these five chapters, everybody. Yay! Oh, these are This was a fun five. Fun we are five. getting somewhere. We are getting somewhere. So the next five will take us on the journey to France. Yay! Yay! <laughs> we get to meet Isabel! Yay! Yay! <laughs> Just think of Kerman and his arms flaying around. (laughs) (laughs) Flailing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, we have housekeeping to do, you guys. Yes, we do. Housekeeping. Yes, my my housekeeping email is from Stephen talking about Jack on the Demon Spectrum. Good afternoon, demons. Well, it's a fine sunny afternoon here in England. We know from the Book of Life that Jack Blackfires is now a vampire with blood rage, so presumably had some demonic tendencies before his rebirth. I didn't pick up any references from Diana or any of the St. James Garlicite witches that they felt kisses from the gaze of Jack. What other clues in Deborah Harkness left, <clears throat> excuse me, in the shadow of night about Jack have I missed? Stephen. I don't think we missed anything because Jack Jack hadn't hit puberty yet. And if we, his talent as an artist and, uh, but if if you go back to the whole story about how Hamish found out he was a demon, it was basically when he had puberty. And I think there's also other references to discovery of night or discovery of night. <laughs> discovery of <laughs> which is which is about how how demons reveal themselves as they become adults. So that may have been why we didn't get any clues from the human Jack about his demonic tendencies or traits. Right. Well, and Matthew was... He had demon tendencies. He wasn't a demon. He was clearly human, but he had demon tendencies. I have an email from Stephen, and he talks about American English. He says, good morning, demons. I know this is way ahead of your discussions on the trilogy, but one scene in the Book of Life catches me every time I read it. When Andrew Hubbard comes to New Haven, he asks Gallo Glass to bring his briefcase from the trunk of his car. As an old English vampire, I would expect him to call the car storage space the boot. There are a number, there are a number of differences in motoring terms between U.S. and U.K., some other examples are U.S. Fender is a U.K. bumper, hood is the bonnet, and gas is petrol. There are more examples that I have been potential to cause embarrassment and misunderstanding. U.S. pants are U.K. trousers. In the U.K., pants are understood as underwear. The U.S. fanny pack is called a bum bag in the U.K. The term for fanny is Old English slang for <clears throat> front bottom. 
<laughs> oh, Fanny's not at the bottom. <laughs> oh, man, have I got a story. Um, when we landed in the UK for the first time, uh, this was uh, back in 2000, my kids were young. Both um, myself and my husband were traveling to England because we were about to be stationed there. And we landed at Heathrow and we're standing there, dazed, confused, jet-lagged, looking for the, the place to pick up the shuttle bus to the base. And unbeknownst to me, I'm standing there blocking the line to the currency line. And uh, a lady comes up to me and says, excuse me, are you in the queue? <laughs> huh? And I'm like, what? The queue? And uh, finally, Robert taps me and says, uh, she means, are you online? So... Yeah, British English and, um, oh, I should say UK English and American English differ in such subtle little ways. Um, like taking a lift to the flat means taking your, taking the elevator to an apartment or, you know, they say mobile phone versus what we say. We say cell phone and just little things like that, little quirky things, garage versus garage. Just don't even get me to say, uh, the British version of aluminum, but, um, I I imagine with the BBC being here and American television being over there, it's not too hard to suss out. But yeah, little quirky things will trip you up if you're not paying attention. Yeah. So the moral of this story is don't ask for a fanny pack in the UK. (laughs) (laughs) You may not get what you're expecting. (laughs) So he closes his email out with take care and I'm looking forward to the next discusser's request, Stephen. And Stephen, thank you for your emails. Like I said, it always brightens my day. And the day you don't email us, or the week you don't email us, I'll wonder: Did I do something wrong? Did we do something wrong? We may have to. We may have to call the authorities to do a welfare check if we don't get one from him. Right. <laughs> We're gonna have to send out a Twitter blast. Attention, Twitter. Has anyone seen Stephen? If so, please return him to the demons. <laughs> and this is all meant sincerely. I love the emails. My housekeeping email is from Lisa, and Lisa says, "Hi, love the discussion on the first flight." One part that I especially love is when Diana is using her office supplies as a perimeter around her workspace. She's pretty much establishing her territory. And I take it Lisa means when they're up on the Selden end in the Bodleian and Matthew is working with her or next to her on the Needham papers. And uh, Diana's kind of building a fort with office supplies to establish her territory. And, and we all do that when we're when you're sitting in like a lecture hall or whatnot. You you. you Stake out your space. Right. It's it's the equivalent of putting your, your chair on, you're putting your purse on the chair next to you so no one sits next to you. Yeah. Good observation. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, we're gonna take a break and when we come back it's gonna be last thoughts and things we can't let go of. All right, everybody, listen to us wherever it is you like to listen to your podcast shows. iTunes users, we'd love it if you leave us a five-star rating plus a review. Contact us on social media. We are Demons Domain and Demons Discuss. You can email us directly, demonsdomain at gmail.com. And you can leave us a voicemail. That number is 360-519-7836. Again, 360-519-7836. Leave us a voicemail and you'll wind up on this show. I'll 
I'll edit it so you sound good. No worries. Also, become a discusser by visiting our podcast page. That is demonsdiscuss.com. You can scroll down, fill out the little short form, and add your name, email address. Click submit, fill out the short code, submit that, and then we'll add you to our discusser list. Just as easy as that. Um, You'll get our emails once or twice a month, and we'll ask you a question, and your answers will wind up on the show. And we love our discussers. They're great. It's a growing community. We'd love it if you join. Don't forget to visit our home base, and that is demonsdomain.com. Again, www.demonsdomain.com. Everything we're doing will be listed on that website. All of our social media, our podcasts, all of our posts, and you'll find all of our episodes there. So we'll see you on the internet. Mm, my, my last thought is uh, I'd love to see new, I'd love to see new people picking up the book and and experiencing it for the first time. And how do we do that? How do how do we get into other people's heads so we can hear about their first time? I want to hear about other people's first times because they're hearing all about our first time reading this book with these chapter reviews in some ways. And I would just love to hear from our discussers some of their visceral first time reactions. Yeah. To the story, tell us about your first time. <laughs> Not that first time. Maybe I'll put that in the subject line. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very provocative question. Yeah. But the funny thing was my first time, the first time with Discovery of Witches, it was like kind of, it was isolated because I hadn't found you guys or anything yet. And then to compare it to the first time with Shadow of Night and even more so Book of Life. Oh my God. There's so much going on. Well, even now we're still, we're still exchanging new ideas. I mean, the whole kissing thing. We've never talked about that before preparing for this chapter, really. No. And even if we to bring up old stuff, none of us are like, you talked about that already. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're happy to talk about yeah. it again. <laughs> but and it's always a little bit different. Yeah, it is. Well, I have a question. Did you find yourself relating to Diana? Because kind of a funny thing happened to me. Um, I noticed as we've been going over these um, chapters specifically, and this is recent for the podcast, I find myself looking at it from the outside and seeing why I didn't relate to Diana at first, because everything Diana does that irks me are things that irk me about myself. Do you know that? It's a weird thing. Diana pushes people away and I tend to do that. And what's so funny is on the surface, I see, I, it, it's like I should really relate to Diana because we have so many things in common. And that's the one thing that, that I, makes it I, her unrelatable to me, the, the pushing the people away. Because in some ways, I'm like always desperate to try and bring people in. You know, I, I hate the fact that I, I appear standoffish because I'm really not. And she seems to revel in it, which is, which is why I just don't connect with her because I like the company of other people and Mm -hmm. and she in so many ways comes across as she doesn't and that is so funny Jean because we're the exact opposite people think I'm friendly online and they find you standoffish so that's hilarious yeah but but come to find out you're the one who who doesn't give a crap about which is just weird it's hilarious but Vail you're more like Diane at the end you're she's she becomes like the mother hen and that's how you are online yeah Uh, that's because the military did that to me um uh you wouldn't think 27 years old is is uh young maybe no right i find 
it's very young to be in charge. And you're responsible, yeah. Um, and the military does that. It puts you in a position where you're responsible for these young people, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are leaving their parents' house and entering this scary world called the military. And yeah, the military equips you for it. However, they put people in charge who are only slightly older than these people. So all of a sudden, you have to become a mother hen. And uh, yeah, I would say I'm very mother hen-ish because of it. It's maybe, you know, probably a better parent too, but you know, that's besides the point. (laughs) I kind of wanted to take my last thoughts and save it for All Souls Con. Um, I started searching for tickets. Um, Oh, by the way, All Souls Con 23rd of September in New Orleans. Be there, be square, virtually or, you know, physically like we're planning on being. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. But yeah, I started looking at plane tickets and they're starting to look reasonable. I came up with one from Seattle to New Orleans. And I think the cheapest price that I was able to get was uh, $312. Which is not bad for Seattle. No. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I checked Southwest from Dallas and it's like 219 maybe round trip. Yeah, but you're closer. Yeah, I'm closer and it, uh, it's it's good. I want to look for a sale so I can use my frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Because I love the way Southwest does their free, frequent flyer miles. You get like a formula against the price of the ticket. It's not my how many miles you're flying or any other kind of weird arcane formula. Not United, though. No hey, United. I have, no Ignited I, Airline. I always have a price. I would do United for the right price. Yeah, that's right. Everybody has a price. Well, yeah. <laughs> Chicago is the United hub. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing the other thing for Chicago, Chicago and Detroit area fans that they might want to check out is key tours because you can do key tours to f- places like New Orleans and Las Vegas and just do the flight and opt out of the hotel packages because hmm. we've done that before too. And it's it, a good idea. Down, it's a charter flight and it's real cheap. Oh, and before I forget, don't forget to uh, join the All Souls Con attendees Instagram, I mean, Facebook group. <laughs> Facebook group. The FaceTube. <laughs> <laughs> Facetagram. It's turning into Facetagram, but that's a whole nother comment. My last thought is uh, our giveaway will have been over by the time this gets published, but I want the winner to tell us, even though Val, you know, tell us what uh, gallo gas smells like. That's one of our prizes. It's the Joe Malone cologne, wood sage, and sea salt that Deb said smells like gallo glass. So I would love to. Sm- I love Joe Malone in general. I mean, her her scents are terrific. Oh. But this one, I'm very curious to see. So I'm I'm curious. Yes. Oh, it smells so good. It smells wonderful. Um, it's a unisex fragrance. I would say. I wouldn't say it's distinctly masculine or femi- feminine. It's definitely unisex. But it smells so good. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say. And speaking of Joe Malone, those Bloomsbury Bloomsbury ones that they were offering right now. Oh my gosh, I got the Artemisia and uh, leather. That's another one that's unisex too. It's beautiful. Oh, a little bald, a little Baldwin-esque. A little bit, but it's no, not smoky. Oh, just the leather. Yeah, it's got the leather. And the Artemisia is it's not green. It's not a green sort of floral, which is really nice. Yes, Joe Malone, all the way. If you could, if you're looking to splurge and treat yourself, go play at their fragrance counter. Treat yourself. <laughs> treat yourself. Thank you. I think we're good now. So let's wrap it up. Say goodbye. Bye, listeners. Thank you for joining us. Bye, listeners. Thank you for putting up with us once again. No demon kiss this time? What? You're going to leave us hanging? Well, I was waiting for you to say goodbye. Then I was going to say demon kiss, but that's okay. Okay. Goodbye. Now. Demon kiss. Mwah. 
<laughs> okay, bye audience.